Hello listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator, bringing you the podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they are not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing Nicole Powers, who is a philanthropy associate with Street Business School. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm very excited to dive into what it means to be a philanthropy associate, now that I can say it, <laughs> and to have you talk a little bit about Street Business School. But before we get into what you're doing today and how you got to that, uh, I always love to, to dive into where you grew up and how many siblings you have and where you are in the birth order. Uh, it's fascinating to find out how that kind of shapes you as an adult. So give us a little bit of your history. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, and um, it's always obvious when I say Madison, <laughs> <for people. laughs> but I am the oldest. I have a younger sister who is two years younger than me. Uh, she lives in Fort Collins too now. Um, she's a first grade teacher. And I also have two stepbrothers who are both younger than me as well. Um, my parents got divorced when I was in second grade, and then my mom remarried, and so it's my stepdad's kids who are my stepbrothers. So, do the brothers live in Colorado too, or just you and your sister? Um, no, they both still live in Wisconsin. Ah, and where, where are they in, related to age? Um, they're both younger, so I was still the oldest even of that crew of four. When we were growing up, we would spend one week with one parent and one week with the other parent. So the, the step siblings always lined up on that week together at our parents' house. Oh, okay. Wow. So how did that shape you as an adult, being the, the oldest and then also being in that one week, one place, one week, another place? Um, I would, I guess I think both shaped me. I feel like the, um, one week, one place shaped me more than potentially the birth order, just because both of my parents had different ways of going about their parenting, and they were um, not super similar. I mean, both were very loving and caring and supportive, but um, one had more rules and one had less rules, so I was constantly navigating that, and um, at one point in high school, I my one house had a much later curfew than the other. And I talked to both my parents and I said, I think you guys should just both compromise on a shared curfew for when I'm at either house, because it's really confusing to go back and forth. And neither of them were interested in that, which is understandable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh yeah. Let's make it easy for you. No, <laughs> no, we're both, we both believe strongly in our parenting technique and we're not going to waver. Um, but I mean, with, with the siblings and everything, I, I feel like I was a classic older sibling of bossing my sister around and, uh, and trying to be in charge all the time. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, when you think about it, you're older, you know, you, you're more experienced in the world. I mean, I can kind of see how it would work that way because they are younger and you got to keep mm -hmm. them out of trouble and out of harm's way a lot of times. And you know, you're not parenting them, but you know, when you're around them, cause you're playing, you're, you gotta be, you know, you're, you just know more and have more things you want to do. So I, I totally get it. I, yeah. I'm a middle child. So, uh, I kind of know that, uh, older sister and very close with both of my sisters. So, yeah. but, 
um, but love it. So, well, thanks for sharing that. So what kind of activities did you all do as a, you know, either as a family or as an individual? Was it music, sports, um, dance? Sports. I did a lot of theater when I was growing up. <clears throat> um, I remember at one point, my stepbrothers and my sister and I were all really into um, writing in our journals because we had just watched Harriet the Spy. And so we all insisted on buying those composition notebooks that look exactly like hers. And we would like write what we'd seen in the neighborhood and then show them to each other. So that was pretty, and it was some really good investigative journalism, I'm sure, um, <laughs> from that age, from those middle schoolers, elementary schoolers. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I do love that you were doing something that you kind of had to make up yourself. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't an activity that, you know, your parents had to drive you to or that you had, to, you know, but I mean, I guess you had to buy the journal and everything, but that's kind of cool. But it's they probably bought it for us. <laughs> imaginary, <laughs> probably. Imaginary. Yeah, we definitely played outside a lot. I grew up in a neighborhood that was, we were on the end on a circle. So kids would just come and play those typical like ghosts in the graveyard and all of that situation. Um, you I'm know, not familiar evening. with ghosts in the graveyard. What is that? Oh, it's, it involves like one person stands by a tree and counts and then you, other people hide. I actually don't, I probably don't know all the rules anymore, but it's like a, it's kind of like capture the flag, but it's different. Oh, or like kick the can is kick the can. like capture Something the flag. like that. Yeah, yeah. Similar. I'm dating myself. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So introvert or extrovert? I'm an extrovert. Extrovert. Okay. And is, is sister and brothers the same? My sister, I think, is once I had her take the Myers-Briggs personality test and we're the same, ENFJ. Um, my, I think both my, my stepbrothers probably are extroverts, too. Oh, a yeah. whole family of extroverts. Very cool. <laughs> and then on the fun meter, a scale of one to five, one being couch potato and five being the life of the party, where do you put yourself? I probably 4.5 because it seems pretty presumptive to say I'm a five. Um, yeah. So I'd like to be the life of the party, but I will allow that I can't just make that claim for myself. <laughs> but someone else probably could. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, I would hope. I can ask my friends. <laughs> Yesterday, my interviewee said she was a 4.85 because she didn't want to go all the way to the 5 either. Right? Oh, smart. Okay. <laughs> Next, I'll consider that. Okay. On the risk meter, same scale, 1 to 5, where do you put yourself? I do not like taking risks. So probably a two, if that's the lowest, the lower end of risk. Oh, it is the lower end, yeah. So yeah. is that in personal life and professional, or do you, are, are, would you be different maybe on uh, either one? Um, I guess personal, I don't really, I don't have any problem taking risks in a personal way, but I, I like to be, I like stability in terms of like finances and making sure I can have a plan and understand what my life will be like on a day-to-day -day and I like routines. So I'm not usually someone who's just like, let's get out of here and go on a road trip for a year. And like, who knows, we'll figure out how we're going to pay for it later. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So, so we have to have a plan. There needs plan. To I like plans. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's, uh, I love those questions because it really gives us some insight sight into how you got to where you are today hmm. and uh, how you make your decisions. But anyway, it's just kind of a fun way to get started. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what it means to be a philanthropy associate with Street Business School, and then we'll dive into how did I get here? Great. 
Um, so being a philanthropy associate is amazing. Um, I really lucked out with um, finding a position with Street Business School um, just because they really do exactly what I was hoping to be involved with when I shifted into working with nonprofits. Um, so my role is working with uh, donors and working with thought leadership, helping us prepare materials and mailings and going prep for conferences and that type of thing. Um, so I'm on our philanthropy team. And Street Business School is a um, entrepreneurial education for women who are living in extreme poverty. So we teach women how to start their own small business. And it's a six month training. They learn business skills as well as confidence. And um, on average, women are making $1.35 before they join. And after they start their business, they're making an average of $4.19 a day. So um, for us, that still doesn't sound like a lot, but for these women, it means their kids can go to school, they can afford three meals a day, uh, they can afford medical care. And more than that, it, it changes the entire community because you have these neighborhoods of women who are um, stronger, more confident, they're not putting up with domestic violence, they're mobilizing their neighborhoods, they're inspiring their daughters and nieces, and um, just really creating change uh, throughout kind of ripple effects. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about SBS. Well, I gotta tell you, we, we met because a friend of mine, a mutual friend, mm -hmm. had donated to your organization and then reached out on her birthday and said, hey, mm -hmm. For my birthday, this is what I, you know, a gift I would love to see. So I, mm -hmm. you know, looked at your organization and then made a donation, and that's when you reached out to me. But yeah, you are doing such impactful work. I mean, you think about the the education that these women get that that changes, like you said, their whole life, their their ability to educate and feed their family, uh, then the community benefits because they're more educated, and everybody's. I mean, it's just yeah. Great, yeah. great, impactful work. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for the work that you do. And that's yeah, a good thank you. your, your organization. So um, you mentioned a little bit about moving into nonprofits. So I'm guessing you didn't start here. So let, let's go back to junior high and high school and, and look at uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? So how did you get here? Um, when I was in junior high, elementary school, high school, well, maybe not high school, but elementary school, junior high, I wanted to be an actress. Um, I once found a letter that I wrote to my grandma and I signed it future famous person, which is pretty aggressive for someone in fourth grade. So cute though, as a young person, no, you know that it is, it is, but I feel like, I feel like if I was a parent, I would shut that down. I'd be like, no, no, that's, we're not sending that to grandma, but whatever. My parents didn't care. They let it slide. Um, so I loved theater and performing and I uh, wanted to be an actress. And I also was um, a like overachiever. I was president of the student council in eighth grade. I did the announcements at my middle school for anyone who had to come to the office at the end of the day. Um, I wore like sweater vests over blouses. So I was really pretty straight laced in middle school. and. I got to high school and I got more involved in theater and drama and all of that. Um, and a lot of my friends were considering or had chosen to go into theater, performance, music, musical theater, something like that. Um, and I 
I considered it too, but I think it's that piece back to that question about risk that even in high school, I, and no one told me this, like my parents would have been like, go for it. You can do whatever you want. We believe in you. Chase your dreams. You know, all that 90s era parental um, thoughts. But I think deep down, I was just really fearful that that would be too risky and that I would end up like not having a stable career or a stable job that I would, you know, 10 years would go by and I'd have nothing to show for it. And um, that scared me. So I didn't pursue anything with theater performing or um, anything like that other than like community theater, which is still very fun. But um, yeah, so I, so that was kind of junior high and high school. Um, that's what I was thinking. So how did you decide, did, did you go to college then? And what did you decide for college? Yeah, oh yeah, so I'll continue. <laughs> I guess my life didn't stop there. <laughs> so I went to school at UW-Madison um, and I, again, tried to convince myself to do something super stable in, as far as like, maybe I should major in business, maybe I should major in, you know, psychology or just something where you're pretty much guaranteed a job. Um, but I, I wasn't interested enough in either of those things. So I ended up majoring in history because I love history and I had an amazing teacher my first semester uh, in college. Shout out to Professor Roberts. Um, but along the way, I still kind of missed that creative expression side. So I double majored as a studio art uh, with a studio art degree, um, doing printmaking and drawing. UW-Madison has an amazing printmaking department. Um, so that was kind of my dual major, and I still had no idea what I wanted to do after I graduated. Um, at first, I thought I wanted to be a professor because of Professor Roberts. Uh, so I wrote a senior thesis when I was um, in school still, uh, and I studied women work, the portrayal of women workers during World War II. So the whole Rosie the Riveter phenomenon, oh, um, yeah. looking yeah. at like the specifics of those images and it's really interesting at the start of the war all of those images are mobilizing women to join the workforce like in domestic magazines and advertising and towards the end of the war they had to reconvince women to take on those domestic roles again so all of the the images the tone starts to switch so these women are like it's like oh i miss my mom i wish she was back at home because those jobs had to be opened back up for men anyway Fascinating. Fascinating history. Fascinating. So uh, long story short, I realized that research and all of the alone time that it would be to be in a library all day to be a professor was not for me because I love people. Um, and then I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I ended up applying for AmeriCorps positions, um, which is like a domestic Peace Corps. So you get paid. Um, you live at the poverty line and then you work with a nonprofit and kind of serve them for a year. So I moved out to Colorado to work with Boys and Girls Club for a year. Um, and that's how I moved out here. Wow. Wow. So right away you're, you're in kind of the nonprofit space. Yeah. Uh, I was working in youth development. So I was um, kind of on the front lines with the youth and doing art programs and drama programs for Boys and Girls Club here in, in town in Laramore County. Um, and after a year of that, I really realized I do love youth, but um, 
I don't think I meant to work with them directly <laughs> because just, it's just, it's just not for me. I'm not cut out for it. I like adults. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I, um, while I was in AmeriCorps, I had started working part-time for a startup that works um, in the study abroad space. So I did that for, uh, for about six months and then ended up working with them full-time um, for a while, for about six months, and then transitioning to a different company within the study abroad space um, and worked with them for almost eight years with that same company. So what does study abroad do then? So that's for-profit, I'm guessing. So this yep, both of them were for-profit. There are some nonprofits, but most of them are um, not. Um, so for study abroad, you know, it's the, the, I worked for a website called Go Abroad. It's a search engine, like a directory site for all these different opportunities of study, intern abroad, volunteer, teach abroad, all these different things you can do abroad that are like more meaningful than just I'm going on a cruise or something like that. Um, and so it's a really interesting field. I mean, there's so much learning and growth that goes on, especially when it's people's first times um, traveling internationally. And, you know, they're processing culture shock. They're trying to understand why they've always been, they've always assumed that the American way of seeing things is right. And then they go somewhere else and it's different. And so they have to kind of integrate that into their understanding of themselves and the world. And um, of course the language component. So there's a lot of really cool research and things that's, that's happening in that space. Yeah. So you were there for eight years. How did you find that organization? Um, they, at that point, were based here in town. And actually, a friend of mine who I had studied abroad with in college um, was working for another company that shared an office. And she said, um, we were talking once and she said something like, yeah, I'm going to Barcelona this summer for work. And I was like, excuse me, what now? Um, that's yeah, a, for, the for work? Yeah, I was like, here is my resume. Please share it widely. Like, I might not have any specific skills in this field, but I want to be in this field because I want to travel internationally for work. So it was a little bit of a selfish reason for joining, but then oh, I yeah. loved it. But I mean, but that's back to, uh, I guess I would say that's not a two on the risk factor in my mind, but... <laughs> Like a four. So did you get to travel quite a bit since you were there for eight years? Did you travel? I did, yes. I I actually um I had I started making a list on my phone of all the countries I had been to, and over half of them are because of that job. So I feel very thankful for that and being able to see so many places and and meet people and have a reason to meet them that's not just I'm a tourist here. Like like meeting them and learning something about their university or their organization and, um, you know, having some of those friendships or, or other relate like client relationships. That's, um, a little bit deeper. Yeah. You have a purpose for being there and you need to know mm -hmm. who they are and what they do and what they're about. And so that you can, you know, share that with, with your organization. Wow. Yeah. And they always knew like, here's, Hey, here's the local restaurant I'll, I'm going to tell you about, or like, here's where we go after work. Like you want to meet us there. So those were things that really made me appreciate um, the, just the power of, of how relationships from work can become friendships. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it, it is different that this is here. This is where we go as regular people versus here's where the tourists go mm -hmm. and you know where the whole resort areas are and all that I can imagine are very different. So, mm -hmm. wow. Well, why would you ever leave that job? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Kathy. It's like that's the framework of the podcast. <laughs> so, um, I really struggled with leaving that job because the team was, I was really close with the whole team. Um, I felt like they were my family in some cases, which I know a lot of people say that, but it's true. I mean, I was so close with them, cracking up, like we just had so many inside jokes, at times dysfunctional things like a family. I mean, there was just everything about it. It was so, we were so close and I loved that so much. Um, but I really took a step back and thought about what I want the legacy of my career to be. And I kept coming back to um, making a difference in the lives of women and girls who are in um, developing economies or developing countries. And something about it, I just, I just truly believe that women and girls and empowering them and making them have as close to equal opportunity as possible is the key to changing this world. And I looked at my career and I was like, I've believed this for a long time, but if you look at my career path, you wouldn't know that. You would just think like, oh, she likes travel. <laughs> uh -huh. That's true too. But I, I really wanted to align that value and that belief more with, um, with my career. And, um, and I just thought, you know, I had come from a, a position in, in marketing and sales and client relations and all of these um, elements that I really thought were transferable to, um, to nonprofits instead of clients, they're donors, and instead of um, a sale, it's a relationship. So there are definitely differences and nuances, but um, overall, you know, I just thought this is a way I can plug in a lot of the existing skills I have and and be a part of something that I know is making a difference um, bigger than myself. Yeah, you know, they, they talk about how they, whoever they is, there's some science around um, that your brain every seven years kind of goes through a major yes. change start to get scratchy. So was it at kind of your seven year point I, that you're starting to get yes, scratchy? it absolutely was. That's totally right. And then I took, it was probably six months or a year of me trying to deny the seven year itch and trying to be like, <laughs> no, no, this is a great, why would I leave this job? Because that was the other hard thing. Everyone knew that I traveled for work and that I loved my job and it was a great job. And so when I told people I was leaving, they were just like, what, why, what, what, why are you doing that? Yeah. Well, and you do have to look at, you know, what is also your career path? You know, did you have other ways you could move up within that organization? Uh, or was it really the benefit of the job was really great and you got that travel? And so there were so many lifestyle elements mm -hmm. that, that aligned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, at that point, there wasn't really much else to, for much more room for growth at that point. But yeah, yeah. So then it was um, street business school, then they're like your very first that you 
found or? Yeah, they were. And I had been trying to, most, many nonprofit organizations that serve women and girls are based on the coasts. So there's a couple here in Colorado, but it's also very rare that they're hiring, you know, just all of that. I was, I was like, well, if they're here in Colorado, great. But if not, I'll try to work remotely for one of these organizations. And none of that was panning out. And then, um, yeah, I saw Street Business School and they were hiring in philanthropy. And I just um, decided to apply and it was better than I ever thought it'd be. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been there now? I've been there for um, a little over a year and a half. Ah, great. And you know, it, it's funny. I remember when I was, uh, after I had left corporate and I was then looking for that next role, yeah. Uh, you know, people kept encouraging me, well, look at the companies you want to work for. Yeah. And then start, you know, tracking back to the people, you know, who know people there, you know, that that's a really great mm -hmm. route to go. And that's where I was really stuck, I guess, when I was in looking for that next corporate gig was, well, what, what is that corporation I'm really that excited about? But you kind of looked at what's the nonprofit or, I mean, did, is that what you did as you searched, you know, kind of, you know, organizations that impact or make a difference for women and girls and so yeah yeah i i knew i wanted to work in that ultimate cause either girls education or women's um sort of helping them start a business and honestly i had no idea really about the intricacies of international development work or the power structures or all of these components that now having been in that space for a couple of years I realized how lucky I was to just randomly choose this organ, not randomly, but you know, that it happened to come up that they were hiring and I knew they served the population I wanted to serve. Um, but I feel I really lucked out with their model. Um, their street business school is so focused on keeping power within local communities. So we train nonprofits to deliver the training themselves um, in local languages. Uh, we have partners, we've trained partners in 21 countries. So the model itself is really um, unique and something that if I had just joined another organization or maybe a bigger organization, I wouldn't have even really been exposed to um, some of the cool things that a smaller and, and kind of more scrappy nonprofit can do. Yeah, it sounded like when you described your role, you your your role has such a variety of tasks you know yeah, you're, sure. you're helping with fundraisers events relationships fundraisers. i mean it's there's all sorts of things that you're doing so yeah absolutely and i'm guessing that gives you a little juice as well that you like doing the variety i do yes <laughs> <laughs> so Tell us about how you uh prepared to move into that role it sounds like what you were doing maybe at um, when you were in the study abroad, that some of those skills were transferable, but it, not exactly, you know, stepping into a, a philanthropic role, many times people are looking for you to bring your network and your, yeah. uh, you know, your contacts and stuff, but maybe that's a little different in this case because it was. Yeah, this case, that wasn't the case because um, they have, we already had had a pretty, we have a, a base of supporters already. So that was, I mean, certainly I was invited or that was welcome, but it wasn't expected. Um, but I think for me, the bigger component was, I think one of the reasons I stayed so long in my other 
role or in my other career was um, I was really good at it, like really good at it. And after so many years, I had gotten it down to um, being able to just know that I could deliver something or pull something off or like just do really well. And it didn't um, stress me out to do really well because I knew exactly how to go about it. Um, or mostly, of course, sometimes there'd be something weird that came up, but like most days I was really quite comfortable and um, it was very much in my comfort zone. And I am someone who struggles with anxiety. So I was pretty nervous about leaving a role where I knew exactly what was expected and I knew I could overperform across the board of everything that was expected. Um, and I think that is one thing that really I struggled with um, that decision so much because of that component as well, because I knew I had to do a lot of preparation to say like, I know the at least the first six months, maybe longer are going to be really hard in this new role, because not only am I learning a new role, I'm also learning a new organization, a new team and an entirely new field of international development. It's like I had very little experience in general in that, in any of those things. So I really prepared myself by basically, I felt like when I first started my career, I often depended on the fake it till you make it uh, mentality. And I was really intentional about in this next phase, I'm not going to do that. Like if I don't understand something, I'm going to ask. If I need more information or need help or um, am unsure, I'm gonna be open about that rather than just like pushing that down and acting like everything's fine. <laughs> I got this, I got this. Yeah, so I think that was more what I had to prepare myself for because it's a, it was a completely new way of um, interacting with colleagues and especially my boss and and just a completely new way of like bringing my, not that I hadn't brought my full self to work before, but I had always brought it, my, like lately I had been knowing so much what I could, that I would be fine and do really well that I didn't really have to ever deal with like self-doubt or that voice like, we talked about like that voice saying like, you're not good enough. I would just, I, like I, for the last couple of years in my old role, I really rarely heard that voice. And I think it's because I was so comfortable and, and I loved that component of it, but I knew that I wasn't growing and I knew that to grow and to grow quicker, I had to kind of welcome this feedback and this uncertainty. Um, and I think I'm still not, very good at it <laughs> like, I'm still like so learning like of that way of being honest and um you know not that I would lie but there's just such a difference in the fake it till you make it of like I'm gonna pretend that I have all the answers and I'm super comfortable and like I've got this and hustle and all of that stuff that we're told all the time and I think the harder thing is actually to um, 
to like be truthfully that way and work up to truthfully being that way without any of that like surface stuff. Yeah. You need a little bit of both, right? Yeah. You know, I want, uh, you know, if I'm a leader or a teammate, even I want people I'm working with to exude confidence and uh, feel like they can do things. For sure. Uh, even if they Absolutely. don't know what they're doing, I can go figure this out. You know, you want the confidence, I can go figure it out. But I also exactly. want the confidence of, I don't know where to start. So, you know, that it's not, you know, you just spent two hours doing something that wasn't very productive when, you know, someone could have pointed you and it would, would have been two hours very productive. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm glad you, under, like, you really explained that, that difference well. Um, yeah, I agree. I remember when I was uh, younger and as a leader and being in front of clients, I'm like, you know, I pretended a lot that I knew yeah. what they were talking about. And I'm like, I had no idea what they were talking And I should have clarified. Yeah. Um, and so there's a difference of, you know, being confident and, and executive presence and presenting yourself well. And I know that whole fake it till you make it, you know, part. Um, but then there's also that, hey, how do you, how do you say when you don't know something? Right. And, and there's power in, you know, clarifying and saying, you know, I really want to understand this. And there's also a difference in should I have known it and I didn't do my homework versus there's no way I could have known that. Um, right. And I need more clarification. And that was something I think I really had to get better at as I, you know, matured and got more savvy. Um, Absolutely. And you're, you're completely right. There's, you, I think what is so interesting is there's a, almost more power in being able to say, can you clarify that for me? Or can you share more about what you mean? You know, asking some of those questions that dig in more, um, mm -hmm. that maybe before in the, in the, um, yeah, in my younger years, I didn't necessarily like those questions because I it they just seemed complicated or confusing or I just wanted to like, yeah, great, we're all on the same page, we're yeah. done here. Like, <laughs> so I think it's really interesting to, um, you know, humans are complicated and organizations and companies are complicated. So I think knowing when you need to ask those questions is really a, an important skill and one that's hard to kind of hone. It's very hard, and you think we're all speaking the same language and we're using the same words, but they mean something different. You know, I have a different yeah. context. Um, I remember in the I was in the this money order processing business, and they, you know, we issued money orders, and money orders were issued. Well, that was a term we used called issue. Mm -hmm. You know, there was it was it when was it issued? Issue. So the word issue meant something very different than there are issues. <laughs> Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I remember that when I first started, I'm like, I was so confused about all of these issues. And, mm -hmm. and it was very, and it took someone to really break it down for me, someone that I trusted that I, mm -hmm. you know, before I admitted that I didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it's, it's hard sometimes because when you're younger, I think you don't know that you shouldn't have known it. Um, but I think as you get older, you're like, there's no way I could have known that. So yeah, exactly. I need more clarification. And oh, by the way, I want to know how you interpret what it means to be buttoned up. You know, even like a simple term like, well, buttoned up or on the mm -hmm. same page. What does that mean, right? And yeah. really kind of define it. I think that would be, I mean, for me, I think changing fields and knowing, you know, that I was entirely new to philanthropy I gave myself permission to ask even questions that I thought were dumb. And I, I think if someone is transitioning fields, do that for your first three months, six months, whatever it is. 
um, to give yourself permission to learn and not like shame yourself for it or be like, oh, I should have known this, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and I appreciated when I had new, uh, cause I worked at the same company for 20 years. So mm -hmm. you, you get that, um, you just know stuff, right? Just like at year eight, you just know stuff. And you're like, how do you not know this? So when someone new comes in and they start asking the most basic question, sometimes it can be frustrating. Uh, at the same time, it's a very powerful question that you haven't even thought to, to think about in so long that it can be really, it can be a very powerful part of, uh, you know, discovering a new problem or a new way of doing things or innovation mm -hmm. or something. So I would say to new people coming in, I want you asking the questions because you need that. Uh, even though sometimes we're running so fast, we don't really want to take the time, but we need to take the time to do that. And I, I got to tell you, I appreciate the ones who ask the questions versus, um, you know, thought they were bothering us or, you know, that, but you, know, you really have to clarify what your yeah. expectations are. So yeah, we're all human beings. Communication is probably the biggest factor, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, very good. Well, thank you for sharing that, you know, some of that little voice. I know it's, um, that's so important, especially for people who are in transition or feeling stuck, or if you've just started out and now you're moving to that next level. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know that people think of that as being in transition, but really it is, right? It's Absolutely. You kind of transfer, in your case, you've transferred industries, you transferred business models, you transferred the roles that you'd had. So yeah, there was a lot of hey, I know I can do this, and, and here's all the similarities and the transferable skills, but then in your mind, you're like, Oh, can I, can I do this? <laughs> How am yeah. I going to learn it? And yeah. So what, um, did you ask for some specific training or, um, how did you kind of, I mean, were you able to get kind of a mentor or someone to help you? Yeah. My boss, Tiffany is amazing. She, I mean, from the first day we had trainings and walkthroughs and sharing and mentoring, um, and all of, you know, all these ways for me to learn um, professional development, all of that. So I did feel really supported in that way and that it wasn't just like, hey, you're thrown in, we expect you to know a million things because they knew that I was new to the nonprofit space. Yeah. It's funny, you mentioned you're in it about a year and a half now is what you mm -hmm. said. I remember that was about the learning curve of some of the account managers that we had on our team. Mm -hmm. And I remember them, you know, that kind of a, a big aha moment was at like three months and at six and then at nine and, you know, each time that, you know, they kind of, Oh, I got this. Things are really starting to make sense. And then something would throw them a curveball. Yep. And then it's like, Oh, I thought I knew that part of the system. And then this, and cause it's, you know, it is drinking from a fire hose. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, I, I love the work that you're doing and I, I think it's so powerful and that you're in the right place. Would you call this your, your dream job? I've been really thinking about that lately and thinking about what all that we put on a dream job. Like oh, I, oh, yeah. I just have been thinking lately that maybe I always need a few things happening at the same time. Um, because this is definitely my dream job for right now, but I have no idea, you know, in a year, three years, who I'll be. So I, I think I've been um, really considering that more and interested in this idea of um, starting things now before like it's a full-blown thing, like starting a 
side business or starting, um, a, you know, some sort of a degree program or um, just having some parallel tracks so that if you do want to transition, it doesn't have to be so stop start. It can be more segue instead of, um, you know, an abrupt shift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's, um, I think those are things I started looking for too, that, I, you know, I got on a board of a nonprofit when I was in mm -hmm. corporate and I, I was also going to school part-time. Yeah. Learning mm -hmm. and growing is a big part of who I am. And yeah. so it sounds like that's what causes you to that. And, and I realized too, like when I was at year 15, uh, I remember being very scratchy. I'd been at the same company for 15 years, mm -hmm. even though I'd had probably four or five different roles at that point. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling scratchy. Go, oh, it's 15 years. I've been at the same company. What does my resume look like? You know, and then, but that's when I stepped onto that board of a nonprofit, which was the Women's yeah. Leadership Group, which was yeah. fantastic for me because I realized my job didn't have to be my total reward or challenge. Or, yes. Uh, yes. I could earn a very good living and be doing something I'm really good at, but I could also make a difference in the world by doing something in a different way. My, my earning didn't have to be with that nonprofit. I didn't have to work there to make a difference. Yes. I love that. And I think that's so important and such a good reminder for people who there are a lot of people who have incredibly busy jobs, either in corporate or other ways. And they're always saying, often saying to me, oh, I wish I could get more involved, but I can, all I can do is give a check or something like that. Or I wish I could get more involved, but all I can do is this. And it's an important reminder that anything people can do is important. I mean, giving a check allows that organization to stay supported. You volunteering your time allowed that organization to have a lean operating budget. Like there's so many ways to find meaning that, uh, that doesn't have to be working full time for an organization. Yeah, absolutely. That just reminds me, I was, I saw this panel last night that talked about the, um, the state of COVID in Colorado, but anyway, one of the members was, uh, the executive director of the department of human and health services. And she was talking about how we can help food banks right now and that they really need help. And what she said was they need checks. They don't yeah. need your, your donation of cans because canned goods, then someone has to take it and you know, make sure it's not expired, put it on the shelf, figure out where it's gonna go. She's like, really what they need right now is money because then they can direct their resources in the most impactful way. Yeah. I'm like, thank you for just saying that. Cause sometimes yeah. you think, oh, well, my first thought when she said food bank was, oh, I need to get to the grocery and get some stuff. And it's like, no, no, I really just need to make a donation and that will make me feel really good and be probably the most impactful way. So. Yeah, I, I love that too. And I think it's so, important for folks who do give financially to not to never downplay that like never downplay like oh I just wrote a check it was barely any effort it's like it doesn't matter how much it was it, it made a huge difference for whoever received it and that's the probably the most effective thing you could do because they're already they've got their operations down like they don't need to you know, they just need to be able to continue the operation. Yeah, yeah, and they're already making a great difference and you felt powerful enough or moved enough to donate. So yeah, let them do what they do best, right? Don't try to, <laughs> mm -hmm. to come in and help in another way, so. I wanna well, build up what you said earlier about um, that you didn't, you, you stepped back and realized you didn't need your career or your full-time job to fill every kind of bucket or, you know, that yeah. to be everything. And I think that's something that I'm just starting to 
kind of go down that path or like I'm just at the beginning of these thoughts. And it's similar to me to when people, people, a lot of people who are millennials like me get stereotyped as thinking that their marriage should be everything or their relationship should be everything. Mm -hmm. Like we have all of these articles and all this research about you know, people want their partner to be their best friend, their therapist, their source of adventure, their like all of these roles that we expect one person to play. And that's impossible because um, they're just a human. And it's almost similar to career too, I think, where, you know, there's all these layers that we put on um, our jobs that are maybe too many, too many things <laughs> for just yeah. a job to fill. Yeah. And then there's the whole part where people stay in jobs longer than they should when they know it's not a fit, but you know, mm -hmm. they just, it's, and things are way more complicated. I know that they just need to keep earning and then figure out another, another path. But, mm -hmm. um, well, Nicole, I think you've got so many great years ahead of you and so much great impact and opportunities. So I could keep chatting all day, but I do want to reserve the right to come back and interview you in about a year and oh, see where great. you're at and what you're thinking yeah. Uh, but let's wrap up for today and in doing so uh, tell us what you think has best served you over your career so far it can be you know a, a habit a trait maybe a philosophy or a quote or something that just really kind of keeps you moving forward and, and successful I would say the thing that served me most is the idea that you can learn it you might not know it now, but that doesn't mean you can't do it or can't learn it. And that challenge of if someone asks you to do something and you don't necessarily know how to do it, can you figure it out or contribute your piece to it? Um, even if you feel like you don't know what you're doing, you probably know more than you think you do. Um, so I would say that mindset of just going after it and trying before you talk yourself out of it and say, I need help or I don't know how to do this or something like that. <laughs> I love that, that you're right about how we can talk ourselves out of stuff, right? Yeah. You know, if you let that little voice take control, next thing you know, you're not even leaving your house. Um, I mean, it's really spiral. Because <laughs> it's COVID, but. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, I, yeah, that's a, that's a very powerful one. Cause you know, I mean, that's what, when you put like a team of people together and brainstorm, you never know what's going to come out of that. And it mm -hmm. takes everybody contributing, even though maybe going in, they're like, well, this isn't my project or this isn't my area of expertise or this isn't whatever, but it's, you know, you bring your perspective uh, from wherever you're from and that mm -hmm. can be valuable. So. Yeah. And you never know if your voice is the one that's missing or the one that's needed um, and you might be smarter than everyone else there, even if you don't feel it. Like we sometimes, I think, downplay our own potential for contributing because it's like, oh, I think this is what's expected of me. So this is how I'm going to perform in this situation. But that's not always the best way to do it. Yeah. Wow. Very powerful words there. And, and it's about staying present in the moment. I remember being um, in a staff meeting at one time when I was kind of in a really scratchy place for myself. And mm -hmm. I remember my little voice had me going. I was so triggered. All I could be was, Oh, so-and-so look at that idea. How come you never come up with an idea? <laughs> like, you know, and it was very, I mean, I sat there and just was like, yeah. And then there's, 
yeah, and she's, she always is so conceptual, and then this, this is such important work, and I mean, I had my soul so wrapped up by the time I left there, but, you know, I, now, now, did I need to contribute? Probably not. These were not my areas, but I really did not leave in a good place because I didn't stay present, and I just let that little voice run, so when you're mm -hmm. new, like you are, right, you, you definitely have to work on probably staying present and contributing where you can, and, and not exactly. getting hung up in it. Yeah, speak up without doubting yourself. I mean, that's advice for myself too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all need that on occasion, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for sharing your story and how you got to where you are to, today. And um, again, I'm just so pleased with the work that you all are doing around the world, making a difference. And I hope I can contribute a little bit and continue to do so. Thank uh, you. So, and hopefully you today will help someone in their journey along the way. Uh, in their career. So thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Awesome. Uh, listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below so that you will be alerted as new interviews are published. And if you have any questions for me or for Nicole, you can post them on my website, lifestorycurator.com, and I'll make sure to get them to her. And then also I'll post her uh, social media information because if you're, if you want to learn more about Street Business School, and I think you should, um, then we'll, you'll have the information there as well. So on that note, I guess I will say stay safe and stay well, and let's keep the storytelling going. Have a great day.